verse number 5. The Bible says, Let your conversations be without covetousness, and be content with such things that ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which hath the rule over you, and who have spoken unto you, uh, uh, you the word of God, whose faith follow in considering the end of their conversation. Verse number 8, great verse in our Bible, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Now, I want you to stay there in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read one verse out of the book of Deuteronomy. And actually, if you look at your text, I'm not sure which, uh, which, if you have a Schofield, if you have a Cambridge, whatever it may be, but in my Bible this morning, and I am in a Schofield this morning, King James Version, either way is fine. But right before that little, that word, that little letter I, or that capital I in verse number five, there is a lowercase q, which cross-references us back to the book of Deuteronomy in verse number six of chapter 31. The Bible says, be strong and be of good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God he it is that doeth good or doeth go with thee. He will not fa- he will not fail thee nor forsake thee. So two different verses here in our Bible, and actually, if you do a cross reference or even if you just Google it, that word never. And that forsake is all throughout our scripture, dealing with Christ and dealing with the picture of Christ and dealing with Old Testament, dealing with New Testament. But here in our text verse out of chapter number 13 of the book of Hebrews, verse number five, the Bible says, he hath said, I, capital I, meaning Christ, will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, many of you were here last Sunday, many of you may not have been, but we started what we call a series, if you want to call it that, on some absolutes from the Word of God. God allowed us to preach three messages on the first absolute, which was this, almost will never be enough. I'm not going to go back and preach that this morning because it would waste time, and according to that clock, we're headed towards one o'clock quickly, so it's not right. Don't freak out. But I said that that statement, almost will never be enough. There's three statements in your life. We looked at Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night concerning that word almost. First of all, almost can never be said in the sentence, I almost got saved. If you're here this morning and you're a law saying I almost got saved, we'll not cut it on that day of judgment. So I encourage you, if you're still battling that, get that settled. But not only almost will not work and I almost got saved, but it also will not work in the statement I almost said, I was sorry. There's been many times that I should have apologized that I didn't apologize and time quickly runs out and before you know it, a great or a funeral home will rob you of the opportunity to say that you're sorry. Then Wednesday night, we looked at our last one out of that first absolute of the Bible. It says, I almost totally surrendered. And that's exactly right. There's nobody that's ever surrendered that said, I wish I'd never done it. But every one of us said, I wish I'd have done it earlier in my life. So that word almost is never enough is an absolute of our Bible. We explained what that word absolute means, and I'm not going to go back to that, but something of a surety. And that's what we're needing, Brother James, in our day and hour that we're living is not what might happen. It's not what might take place. Every day we see our life is like a literally almost like a Russian roulette wheel. We spin it every morning wondering what's going to happen today or what's our government going to do today or what am I going to do today? And it's not all resting on Washington. There's decisions made on our level, our community level, and our state level, and in our school systems, and every Everything that we're doing every day, good decisions and bad decisions are being made. And there's a lot of things that are not, Miss Maddie, absolute 
But in this hour that we're living in the, in the coming of the Lord, and I believe with all my heart that everyone that's here this morning could potentially, and I know our young ones, I feel like we'll see the return of the Lord. I feel like we are that close. It's almost concreted in my heart, Brother Kevin, that my children may never graduate high school. And though I have great aspirations for them and I want to see them do something, Brother Evan, I want to see that little girl get saved and, and do wonderful things, not only on instruments but other things. But if Christ comes back, we ought to be ready and we ought to know for sure that we're ready because it is coming faster than we've ever seen before. So we're not really interested in things that might happen. We're not interested in things that possibly could happen. But this morning, as we dive into this second biblical absolute, dealing with it this morning and maybe tonight, and we'll have whatever time we have together is what we'll do by the direction of God. But this second absolute is this. Not only will all, almost never be enough, but secondly, I want to say this morning that it is a biblical absolute that never will always mean never. Never, the word never, will always mean never. When someone says, I will never do this, I know in our life sometimes we say that and we can quickly realize that we can. So be careful not to say, I will never sin or I would never do this. Or, I would never, my family would never do this because in and of ourselves, that word never really doesn't mean that much because we are human. But in the Word of God, Brother Harold, when the Lord says never, He always means never. I've never heard Him say anything, and I'll get ahead of myself this morning, but I've never heard Him make a promise that He said He would never do something that He's done it. I've never heard Him say that He wouldn't do something that He's done. So the second biblical absolute that we're looking at this morning is that phrase, never, will always mean never. And I just give it away this morning, but this first statement Dealing with never should always mean never is, number one, God's promises will never change. The promises that God makes in God's Word will never change. Here in Hebrews chapter number 13 and also in Deuteronomy chapter number 31, we are giving a word, we're giving a promise that's not from an Old Testament prophet. Brother Dalton, it's not from a preacher or a priest or from a Sunday school teacher. It is the Lord himself, and I understand the author is penning it, but he says capital I, meaning he's speaking of a human or he's speaking of a person in Christ Jesus. And it says, I will never leave thee, I will never forsake thee. Oftentimes we hear that in times when we are dealing with a funeral or we're dealing with someone that's struggling in their life, and rightfully so. It is good to encourage ourselves, as David did in the book of Psalms, encourage ourselves, Brother, Brother Evan, with those words. But it is a reality. Just as in salvation, every day of my life, Miss Anita, he promises me that I may. He didn't say you won't go through anything. He didn't say you won't face anything. He didn't say there won't be hospital visits. He doesn't say there won't be hospice visits. He doesn't say there won't be sickness. He just says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. As we read these accounts and dig into this message this morning quickly, we, we understand that it's the Lord that is the subject matter of this. I've just explained it's not a prophet, a priest, or a preacher, but the Lord himself. Can I say this morning, not necessarily by this message, but just in the word of truth, we ought to be careful who we listen to in our life. Brother Brandon, I'm all the time discouraged. Quit listening to discouraging people. Brother Brandon, I'm all the time fearful. Quit listening to fearful people. I mean, there's sometimes, and I've, I've joked, but Brother Chris Hazel, someone that said it, so I'm not the original author. He says, sometimes at my church, there's some people I don't talk to till after I preach. And he says, why is that? He said, because I'm going to ask them how they're doing, and they're going to tell me how they're doing. He said, and if I'm really pumped up for preaching, I go to them after church. He said, I love them, but it's just some people that are before church people, and there's some people that's after church people, and you may know, and I love every one of you, and I talked to as many as I could this morning, but if I didn't come talk to you, it wasn't because of that fact this morning. But I think about in our scriptures, we ought to be careful who we listen to. 
goes without saying, but they can bring you closer to Christ or they can draw you farther away from Christ. So also, listen, let me tell you, and I'm not preaching on this again, but if they're talking to you about someone else, probably a good thing to get away from them. There's people that mean well in our words. I may have come to you before and, and give you my opinion meaning well, but it did not lead you in a right direction. If it's so, I apologize. I'm human. Our pastor's human. His wife's human. My wife's human. And sometimes you may ask me my opinion, and if I don't pray about it or actually find from Scripture, immediately my opinion may come out. But we ought to be careful who we listen to. Brother, Brother Harold, though, when I see in the Word of God, the Bible says, the Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's not something I can, that's going to waver. That's not something that I can't hang my hat on, so to speak. That is something, Miss Linda, that I know for sure is going to be a surety. Biblical absolute number two, never will, ne- will always, I mean never, God's promises will never change. Here in our text, and also in Deuteronomy, it's hard to say, Brother Evan, verse number, chapter number 31, the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord thy God, he, everything's about him, everything's personal, everything's I and he, and when it's in him, we can trust it. Man's promises can be broken, and they will be broken. They'll be forgotten, or they'll be replaced. I can't tell you the number of times that my little ones, and they don't let you forget, you say something with all intentions of, we're going to do this. And they'll say, do you promise? And you say, I promise. But then something comes up, and we have to alter those promises. And though I make it apologize to them, they know, this is, I'll do the best I can, but, but I am not God, and I can't keep everything, and I do my best. We ought to be careful to do that. But when we go to God and we read God's word and it says he'll never leave us, we don't have to go to bed wondering, Miss Anita, whether that verse is true or not because it is true. But the promises of God, they will never change. I thought about this, but Evan, regardless of circumstances, God's promises never change. Circumstances change every day. He didn't say I'll never leave thee as long as you're in the sunshine. He didn't say I'll never leave thee as long as everything's good in your life. Circumstances may change, but God's promises do not change. Regardless of our faults and failures, praise the Lord for this. I'm saved. What if the Bible said you're saved, you're going to heaven, but if you ever mess up after salvation, I'm not going to be there for you. Man, we'd all be doomed. I got saved at eight years old. I'm pretty sure I'd done something immediately after service that day that probably wasn't right to my brother, Brother Rodney, that was probably not biblical. So therefore, I'm by myself. I probably didn't make it out of church without thumping him on the ear or kicking him or doing something. Or everybody come by and shaking my hands. When he got up, I probably squeezed his hand a little harder than anybody else's. Why? Because we are going to fail after salvation. But don't ever let anyone tell you that God's promises fall away because of our faults and our failures. Just as in salvation, and we'll be quick this morning, just as in salvation, trusting the promises of God is a choice. John 3, 16, we know the verse very well. We trust him for salvation, and we say, Brother Brandon, I, I know that he died on the cross. I know, Brother Harold, that he gave his life for me, and I believe with all my heart that he was raised from the dead. I believe I'm a sinner. I cannot go to heaven without him, and I'm putting my faith in Christ Jesus for salvation, and that is more important than anything in your life. But many of us, me included, will accept him at salvation, but then, Brother Travis, we have a problem with trusting him every other day of our life. And I tell you this morning, if I can trust him in John 3, 16, I can trust him for every other situation in my life. And I don't know what you're facing this morning. have no clue if this absolute is something you need this morning or if it's something you're going to need down the road. But let me just remind you, and quickly in launching into this, if you can trust him in salvation, you can trust him that his promises will never, ever change. Thursday night, we had the opportunity, and we'll be here in Hebrews 13, wrapping this up quickly, but 
had Thursday night, we had the opportunity to listen to a message where Jonathan Barker preached on simple faith-based salvation. And he made this statement, and now you start thinking about this, you say, oh man, you're talking about, a, you're, you're, you're talking about Area 51 and everything else. I'm not talking about weird stuff, but I'm saying, I wasn't there the day Apollo landed on the moon. I wasn't there that day. I think I was sick. I don't know. I wasn't even alive, but I don't know what happened. I don't know really what year it was. And some of you say, well, Brother Brandon, you were alive. Well, I don't know what I was doing if I was alive. But I, I don't know that, but guess what? I remember in school making a prop or a, I actually took a go-kart and made like a little wagon that landed on the moon because I believe Apollo landed on the moon because the history books tell me did. I wasn't there the day that the White House was built. I wasn't there the day that, you know, President, I don't know, George Washington is what he used the other night, was put into office. Now, I believe he's our president. He's on the front of a, what bill is he on? The $1 bill? I got plenty of them. Benjamin, me and Benjamin Franklin don't get along too good. Me and George Washington get along pretty good. But I, I'll never forget, he's on that. I, I know he's on that. At our birthday party one time, Josiah, uh, his Aunt Gail, he said, look, Gugu, you're on the $1 bill. And I said, no, Josiah, that's not Aunt Gail. But he said, uh, true, that's a true story. And, uh, well, George, y'all were there that day. And, she, of course, she laughed about it. I'm thinking, man, my kids, of all the people in the world. But I wasn't there that day he was made president, but I believe that he's a president because our history books tell us that he was the president's. What about the things about God? I believe in salvation. I wasn't there the day that he hung on the cross by the herald, but I believe that he died on the cross for me. I believe by faith. What about trusting him in our life? What about following him in our life? Everything we do rises and falls on faith. Things that we hear on the news, everything we believe today is because somebody tells us on the news, I'm not over in Ukraine, I'm not over in Russia, I'm not over in Israel. I get to see part of it, and I know that it's real, but I'm not there. We rely on a lot of outside sources to give us our information that controls our life. But can I tell you this morning, if you don't get anything else, all of our outside information ought to come from the Lord and follow in His Word. If it doesn't line up, we ought to push it aside and know that whatever this book says is going to happen, is going to happen. I'm thankful for those things of faith. Brother Brandon, all this sounds good, but I need some proof in my life that what you're saying is true. I need some proof that I can trust the promises of Jesus. I can trust the promises of God. Do you know, quickly getting into this or, and going through this, do you know that everything you will face, everything with a hair that we will encounter in our life has been dealt with, addressed, and Brother Wayne solved within these 66 books? You say, Brother Brandon, that's, that's not true. I'm going to show you real quickly this morning. Everything, Miss Linda, that my family will face, that our church will face, that you will face personally, somebody has dealt with it, it's been addressed, and it's been answered in God's Word. Brother Brandon, nobody's ever been through what I'm through. I've got proof this morning that it is. And I want you to go on a scavenger hunt, maybe later today or whenever. If you want some help, I encourage you just to look it up. If you've got to use Google, that's okay. If you've got to use some other thing, just make sure you're in the right translation and look it up. Does the Bible say anything about this? Does the Bible say anything about that? You'll be amazed at the verses that God has placed in this book that is there to direct your life and to answer the questions that you have. Brother Brandon, can I trust the promises of God? Let me prove a few to you really quickly this morning, and we'll go home. I thought about, first of all, that phrase, the promises. We're talking about never will always mean never. That's the absolute. Under that umbrella of never, but Evan will, be, will always mean never. I will never leave or forsake thee out of Hebrews chapter number 13. The Bible says simply this. Number one, he'll never leave you in a storm. There's never been anybody that Christ has left in the midst of a storm. Now, we were just there the other day, so you don't have to turn there. But Matthew 14, when we read that the other night about trusting the Lord and, and almost surrendering and everything we dealt with, you realize that night the sun was not shining, 
It was not 12 o'clock in the middle of the day. The Bible says, if you go back in verse number 25, I believe it is in Matthew 14, the Bible says it was in the fourth watch of the night. Well, the fourth, if you think about sports, the fourth quarter is the last quarter. The fourth inning is the last inning. It's almost at the end. So I'm going to say this is, this is what Brother Mark calls it, country dark, where your headlights go out there five miles and just die. I'm talking about dark. I've never been out in the prairies of North Dakota and everything else out there where there's no streetlights. I have drove through Kansas, and it seemed like every third fence post, there was a hawk sitting on it. I don't know if I was hallucinating or if it was real or not, but everywhere you drive out there, if there's a bridge, there's a pond beside it because they had to dig a hole to build the mounds to build the bridge. It's just flat as far as you can see, but it was daylight when I drove through Kansas. I couldn't imagine driving through there where all you've got is the stars or all you've got is the moon and all you've got is your car and the lights and you're praying nobody, your battery don't die and your tires don't go flat because you're trying your best just to get somewhere. But that's what they're facing in Matthew 14. Not only is it dark, not only is it windy. Say, Brother Brandon, how do you know it's windy? Well, if it's usually if it's storming, it's windy. Therefore, the waves are raging, but it is rough out there. I think about Brother Allen, you and Brother Carson know exactly where I'm going with this. It wasn't long ago my brother was stuck in the the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with somebody and you bro you know exactly who he's fishing with and he's a great person but you don't want to be in a boat in the middle of the ocean with one of the weathermen from Moxville but they're out in the middle of the ocean and all of a sudden the boat just dies I'm talking about early in the morning and the Atlantic Ocean is a big pond you understand that and Tyler said you know I, I didn't know whether to call my wife write a letter put it in a bottle but for a few minutes there he said I'm going to die with someone that I want to kill right now because his boat's not working and I love him to death, but he's floating away. And you say, Brother Brandon, that's not a big deal. Man, when you can't see land nowhere, and all of a sudden, you, you, all you've got is a cell phone, you've got a boat that won't run, you've got fishing rods and fish and, and people that you like, but you don't want to die with, that's a bad situation to be in. I told you kids, I love every one of you, but if we go through that aquarium there at Ripley's and that thing breaks, I don't want to die with a bunch of teenagers drowning in that aquarium. I get nervous every time, Brother Hoyt, because that ain't how I want to go out. You know, being a heroic or saving somebody or running out of a burning building, Miss Christie, I'm fine dying like that. But I don't want to drown in an aquarium with a bunch of teenagers in my life. That's not how I want to go out. But in this text, man, in this storm, when I'm painting a picture up here, it was dark. It was windy. It was rough. There was no sense of direction. Their whole world, their compass had been literally shaken off the, off the, off the axis. And here we know the Lord. They see him walking to them on the water. So now not only are they scared to death for the herald, but they're scared to death because now they're hallucinating and there's a man that's walking across the water to come to them. Now we know when he gets closer that they call out and we realize that it is Christ and Peter walks on the water that night. You say, well, Brother Brandon, that's great, but that doesn't prove to me that he's going to be in my storm. Well, think about what I just described that storm as. Have we ever had a dark point in our life? Have we ever had a windy point in our life? Has there ever been a rough patch in your life? Has there ever been a time where you feel like you didn't know which way was north, which way was south, which way was east, which way was west? You, you had no sense of direction. You said, Brother Brandon, I don't know what Monday's going to hold. I don't know what Tuesday's going to hold. You said, Brother Brandon, my name's not mentioned in Matthew 14. No, but the characteristics of this storm, Brother Evan, is in every one of our lives. And it proves to me that he'll never. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And number one, he'll never leave me in a storm. There's never been anybody, Miss Christie, that has went through a storm, and they've called on the Lord, and he's not been there. Brother Jason, Miss Bess, in a storm now. Others have been in a storm. Brother Leroy recently, and many others. Miss Bria, there's storms all. It could be a hospital storm. It could be a family storm. It could be a financial storm. But if you'll look close enough, just as the disciples seen Christ walking across that water, he'll be in the midst of your storm as well. I've never went through anything to where I'm not, I'm not talking about it hurt, and it's been rough. 
And there's been times that I felt like I'm not going to make it. But he's been there for me because the Bible proves in Matthew 14, he'll never leave me in a storm. Sounds like a lot like our life. I thought about number two, but they haven't quickly. Not only will he never leave us in a storm, but another proof of our life that he'll never leave me is number two, he'll never leave me empty. Brother Brandon, what do you mean by he'll never leave me empty? You go to a lot of places, but if I were to turn to 1 Kings this morning, you don't have to. And I've got the notes wrote down, I promise you it's there. 1 Kings 17, you know the story. Elijah is being fed here by Zarephath, at Zarephath by the widow. You know the story before, the widow has a barrel of, of meal there and a cruise of oil, and she's got just enough together. And she tells the man of God, she said, listen, I'm going to go make a morsel of bread and this cruise of oil, and me and my little boy is going to eat it, and then we're going to die. And you know the story. God says, hey, the man of God says, hey, fix mine first. And the Bible didn't say that he filled her barrel up. It just said it never ran out. So every morning she went back, that barrel was still there and that cruise of oil was still there. And she had enough to sustain her all the days of her life because just as in her standpoint here, there will never be a time we're dealing with a biblical absolute that never will always mean never. Never in our life has Christ ever left us empty. I've never come to church, Brother Matt, with a mind. Now, I've come to church and left empty because I came with no mindset of getting anything. That's my fault. But I've never come to church and prayed back there just like I prayed in my office before I came out here a while ago. I've never prayed, God, give me something. God, do something in my life. I need you that God did not give me something in a message. You see people come to the altar every Sunday. You say, Brother Brandon, they must be the worst sinners in the world. No, I believe with all my heart, whether it be my family or your family, whoever, they've come praying, God, show me something. And he may show them something out of the message that nobody else got because they asked for it. This lady obeyed God, and God never left her empty. I think about Ruth chapter number 1, Brother Kevin, quickly this morning. And I don't have it written down. I'm just going off memory. Man, Ruth chapter number one, I know the family left in the midst of a famine and there was bad decisions made, but I think about Ruth coming back with Naomi and here in chapter number one, she's a beggar. Chapter number four, she owns the field. Why is that? Because there's a picture of Christ. If I'll come to Christ, it don't matter what I have. It, it doesn't matter, Miss Maddie, whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, whether I'm healthy or whether I'm sick or whatever I'm facing. If I come to him, there'll always be a Boaz in my field. There'll always, Brother Hoyt, be somebody that's there to help me and I've never met the Lord and walked away empty-handed never those of you that came the other night and ate with us and uh i got the little bit miss maddie you served that food the other night and i told them you always get nervous having a banquet because you say what if we don't have enough food so i had my brother googling a barbecue restaurant close enough in statesville and he said well you may call him tell him to make a hundred pound of barbecue just in case it's how they're not going to make a hundred pound of barbecue just in case Pigs don't give their life just, for, just in case. They, they, have to, they have to know. And I won't say everything else Tyler said about that night, but I said, I said listen, I said I had three teenage girls. Well, I had Miss, Miss uh, Maddie, I had Miss Chloe, and I had Miss Casey serving. Then I had Jeremy, I had Petey, and I had Caleb Williams serving. Three of them I was comfortable with, three of them I was real nervous with. <laughs> My plan was to mix that up. Girl, boy, girl, so that they would get it. No. Every girl went to one table to serve, and I had all three of them boys at the other table, and I said, Lord, help us get through this. I went back there, and I said, boys, I said, Petey and Jeremy, I said, listen to this guy on portions. When he tells you to do something, you do that, or we're going to run out of food. And then the boys said, what if they tip us? Can I give them more food? And I said, no, you do not give them more food. Then they said, Petey said, well, somebody give me a $100 bill. They can have the whole tray. And I said, no, we're not. So I sweated the whole night. I told plenty of preachers. I told Brother Jonathan and also Brother Jonathan Ritchie. I said, if this gets down low, we're going to go in the back. And we're going to pray that prayer of Elijah on that barrel of meal. I said, and somebody's got to find some green beans from heaven tonight. 
But guess what? Everything worked out fine. We didn't have to go pray and sacrifice. I didn't look for a little boy in his lunchbox swinging five loaves and two fishes. I didn't have to get there. But I do tell you this. My point in saying that everybody that came that had a plate that night, Miss Maddie, they left with food. Whether they ate it or not, that's on them, but they were filled. I've never come to the Lord with my plate or my bowl empty. And I said, Lord, I need something. And him say, I just don't have enough today. Well, Brother Brandon, I've never run out of food in my cupboard. I've never been a beggar necessarily and looking in a field and trying to walk around a cornfield. But no, but I guarantee you in your life, every one of us, whether you're a millionaire or a dollarnaire, every one of us in our life, there comes a point where you are physically, emotionally, and spiritually, you are empty in your life. And you feel like I've got nothing else to give. Wouldn't hurt to go back to 2 Kings chapter number 17 or Ruth chapter number 1 and just look what God did for those people. Because my point I'm trying to make this morning is this, never still means never. When Hebrews 13 says, I'll never leave thee, that means the same God that filled the barrel, Brother Harold, will fill my heart this morning. The same God that filled the cupboard, if it is in need of food. I'm not saying you pray and open your cabinets and there's food. There's been proven fact of that. I think about people, Billy, Sunday and all those in the past. There's stories where God does that. But I'm talking about just, just physically filling you. Can I trust God after salvation? Well, I believe with all my heart, number one, he'll never leave us in a storm. But number two, he'll never leave us empty. There's never been a time, as Caitlin sings it often, sometimes in the youth choir, I've never seen a time where he's forsaken us. Number three, and lastly this morning, quickly as we close, and I'm just giving you a few. I seriously want you, I want you to come back to me and tell me. Go on a scavenger hunt this afternoon. Look up things you're dealing with in your life and go find somebody else in the Bible that dealt with the same thing. And I promise you, you'll find it. If you can't find it, you come back to me. We'll find it together because God's promises never change. Number three, I think about this, Brother Allen, in closing, he'll never leave me without hope. Brother Brandon, that's exactly where we are in America right now. You look out, you turn the, if you just turn the television on for 30 seconds, Brother George, put everybody out the room and just listen for 30 seconds, you will leave that room the most depressed person in the world. You'll walk out depressed. Now, I know it's news, and there's sometimes you need to know it. I go to, church, I go to school, uh, work many times, and I don't watch the news, but if all of a sudden, you know, the TV starts shaking off the wall and I see a tornado coming across, you need to be warned. I mean, when, you, when one person gets an amber alert, everybody in the country gets amber alert, and it goes off in work, it says, wah, 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 and then everybody's looking at it, and, and everybody gets notified. There's some things you need to know, but there's a lot of things in our life it would do us good to turn off and open that book and just read that God has promises says all the turmoil we're going through it's in there all the world division we're going through it's already in there and we run around like chicken little with our head cut off saying the sky's falling the sky's falling we've been reading about this for as long as I've been alive it's got to happen brother Matt it's got to happen because the Bible says that's when he's coming there's no bypassing the craziness to get to glory we live in it we're we're in it we, we're not of the world we live in the world but we're not so we're, we're just sojourning. we listen we're pilgrims we're passing through but the bible says we're going to go through it so don't freak out or don't say but the brand in the world's falling apart and i know it's serious and i know we ought to stand behind israel and i know everything that's going on but god's promises they don't waver miss linda they don't change and you'll never leave me without hope I'm going to turn there. You don't have to, but John chapter number 11, there is a funeral that we've all been to many times. It is the funeral of Lazarus. You know the story. Mary and Martha has sent word to Jesus. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but they are in need of God to help their family. The Bible says that Jesus loved their family. The Bible said that he wept over their family. When you get down to the end of the story here in verse number 21, 
This is where Jesus has arrived there in Bethany. He has arrived in verse 21, Brother Evan. The Bible says, Then Martha said, then, Mar- then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother would not have died. But verse 22, Brother Matt says, But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Martha here demonstrates two things. In verse 21, we see her heart. Her heart is saying, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But then she turns it around in verse 22. We see her faith, and she says, but I know that now whatsoever you ask of God, it will give thee. We have a heart that's broken, but we have a faith that knows the promises of God can be fulfilled. You say, Brother Brandon, I've been to several funerals, and I've been to several things, and I've never seen God raise somebody from the dead at a funeral. So how do you say he's going to give me hope? I'm not talking about raising someone from the dead. I'm talking about restoring hope in your life. And by the way, if I ever go to a funeral and somebody gets up, I'm leaving that funeral quickly. I'm getting out of there. Heard somebody say the other day that used to, they would tie a bell or a string around somebody's finger that was dead when they buried them. If that person came back alive, they would ring that bell. That's where the phrase came from, saved by the bell. It didn't come from TV. If I'm ever somewhere and somebody sits up in a morgue, Brother Seth is greater faith than I am. I'm not only leaving, I'm not going to quit running until I hit the Atlantic Ocean. Then I'm going to swim to whatever continent's on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean because I don't want to deal with no dead person sitting up. So I'm not talking about God, say, Brother Brandon, my family member, we buried several this year and several more probably if the Lord doesn't return to come this year and next year. I'm not talking about God restoring hope and giving us our loved one back. I'm talking about what they faced here in this life. The grave is not the lesson this morning, but the fulfillment of God's promises in Hebrews 13, 15. He didn't say, I will always fix your problems. I will always fix you I will always get it right I will always make it where you don't have to suffer he just says I will never leave thee nor forsake thee that means sometimes we're going to have to go to the funeral home we're going to have to go to the hospital we're going to have to face things we don't want to face it doesn't say he's going to remove them it says he's never going to leave us and that word never still means never I thought about I preached this before in closing there was three questions that was answered or asked that day here in John chapter number 11 First of all, the girls asked if he would come. So they sent a message. They didn't know whether Christ was going to come or not. But they didn't know. They basically saying, if we send the message, I wonder if he'll come. Then as time goes on, their brother gets sicker. They ask, when is he going to come? So now it's intensified from not if to I wonder when. We sent for him. He's not coming Where's the hope? Where's the promise of Hebrews 13 or Hebrews 13, 5? I'm not seeing him fulfill that promise. There's got to be a problem. It must not have been true. I've asked if, I've asked when, but thirdly, the brothers died and they asked this question. They say, how? Jesus shows up and they're already mourning. He's been dead. You know the story. It's been sung about. It's been preached about. He's graveyard dead. No chance about it. Bible's plain. So then the sisters, instead of saying, if he's going to come, when's he going to come? They simply ask him, how are you going to fix this? You promised us in Hebrews 13. None of them may not know that text at that time, but for the sake of illustration this morning, we're looking back at our problems, at our untackable problems. And we're asking, he says, he'll never leave me nor forsake thee. So if, when, and how, I believe there's no way that they didn't lose hope. They had lost hope. I mean, they get there, they love Jesus. But their brothers are already dead. So now, Jesus, all you can do is comfort us because he's dead. But listen to this in closing, Miss Savannah, if you'll come. There's, but every time, the Lord has restored my hope. There have been times that I thought that my situation was graveyard dead. But not only did he restore, not only did I look back this morning and thinking about that he's never left me in a storm, 
He's never left me empty, but he's never left me without hope. Brother Brandon, how did they restore hope? Well, obviously, in their, their story, he raised their brother. Everybody that was there that day said, wow, this is a son of God. This is, this is miraculous. He said, Lazarus, come forth, because if he just said, come forth, everybody in that whole tomb would have got up and walked out. Miss Loretta, my point in saying that is this. There's going to be some times to where you feel like, Brother Brandon, I've prayed, I've asked, I've done everything I can do for my family, I've done everything I can do for my marriage, I've done everything I can do for my life, I've done everything I can do for my children, I've done everything and it is dead. It is graveyard dead. And it just might be that God fulfills Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 5, after your problem's out of your hands. Jairus' daughter could not be raised till she was first what? Dead. He stopped and helped a woman with the issue of blood first. And Jairus is sitting there thinking, man, I hope she gets help. But we got to go. We got to go. And they get there and they say, trouble not the master because she is dead. The Bible says, paraphrasing Brother Evan, she is dead, but her death is for my glory. Because when he got there, he went into the room, kicked everybody else out that didn't believe. And that little girl's lungs began to breathe again. So just because your problem seems dead, doesn't mean that it's dead to God. Never still means never. Hebrews 13, verse number 5 says, I'll never leave thee, I'll never forsake thee. It don't matter if it's dead. I tell you what, what it'll take. I was hoping they'd be more sitting up here with you, but there's not. So you stand up. Carson, you stand up. Brother Evan, you stand up. So Brother Brandon, what happens? The Bible is reflection of what God's promises are, but the only thing we need to change a world that's bowing down is a Shadrach, a Meshach, and a Bendigo. It happened then. It can happen now. Y'all can sit down. Some of you are praying for a child this morning. Brother Brandon, where's the scripture on that? Go back and read Hannah's story. Hannah begged God, blessed God, and she fulfilled God's promises. Maybe God's just waiting for you to say, God, if you give it to me, I'll give them back to you. God will answer that prayer. Brother Brandon, I'm in bondage this morning. I feel like I can't get it out of addiction. I can't get out of anything. I'm in slavery. Well, there's a Red Sea experience for you, too. The children of Israel were in bondage. They couldn't get out. It wasn't a drug problem. It wasn't an alcohol problem, but that might be your story. But go back and read that. Moses, you know the story. Head out the rod. The waters parted. They didn't say they walked across on muddy ground. It said they walked across on dry ground. And then God consumed their problem behind them and wiped out the whole army. Well, Brother Brandon, that's not exactly what I'm going through. Same situation still works in your life. Every story in your life. Some of you are praying for a prodigal. Can I tell you, just get your lawn chair, sit on the porch, keep looking down the road, and go back to the, book of, go back to the New Testament and watch what happened. That daddy never sold the farm because he knew that somebody would be coming. I've been that prodigal. I may be there one day with my boys. I know they grew up in church. I know he's got a tie on, but that doesn't mean he's never going to waver. It doesn't mean he's never going to walk away. But I can go back during those times when I feel like, man, God, you said if I raised him right, if I taught him right, he wouldn't go astray, he wouldn't turn away, he wouldn't forget. No, God said, I won't leave you empty. He said, I'll always be with you. I'll always be there for the prodigal, for the nation for the family, for, the, for those that feel captive. The Bible says again, I read and we close, in verse number five, he hath said, capital I, meaning of Christ, not a president, not a preacher, not a teacher, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So biblical absolute number two this morning quickly, and what I've tried to share is never still means never. If never was the same dealing with three boys in a fiery furnace, Never still means the same for the Hoyt today. If you'll stand for God, he'll stand with you. We're standing with our head bowed and our eyes closed this morning. I just want to remind you that sometimes never, all the time, never still means never. 
Can I trust Hebrews 13, 5? Can I trust, can I trust Genesis 1, 1? Can I trust John 3, 16? Can I trust that every example in the Bible is put there for me? Absolutely, because everything you face has been answered in the Word of God. You Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.